0: And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. In the second chapter of the book of Romans, Paul brought the Jews down to the same level as the Gentiles. He said just because they had the law and they were teaching it, uh, that didn't mean that they were saved or exempt from judgment. Uh, The law requires obedience. If you don't obey the law, then there are consequences that follow. So like I said, the law required obedience, uh, obedience, and, and Paul pointed out that most of the Jews were not obeying it. You'll look at Romans chapter 2, verse 21. Romans 2, verse 21. You therefore which teach another, teach not thyself, You that preach a man should not steal. Do you steal? Yes, they did. Matter of fact, one of the times that we see Jesus getting angry was when he went into the temple and saw the money changers sitting there uh, taking advantage of the people. And Jesus flipped over the tables and said, This is a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of thieves. So, yes, there was stealing going on. Uh, amongst the Jews. Uh, Romans 2 verse 22, you that say a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Yes, they did. Matter of fact, Jesus said, if a man even looketh upon a woman and lusteth after her, he has committed adultery with her already in his heart latter part of verse 22, you that abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? Yes, they did. They actually made uh, an idol out of the law. Their whole world revolved around the law. Um, You make your boast of the law through breaking the law. You're dishonoring God. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Never uh, before has there been a statement more true. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You know of people right now, uh, there ain't no need in inviting them to church because all they're going to say is, I ain't going to church because the church is full of hypocrites. You know, there there are people that uh, they claim to be Christians, but they're not living right. They're not doing right, and uh, it makes the work of God look bad. The church is full of hypocrites. Well, That's true in some cases, but not in all cases. Uh, I would like to think that those that are coming here to friendship mean business with God. Now, that's not true in every case, but um, we too have our own faults. We do have problems. We have difficulties. Uh, None of us sitting in this room tonight is perfect. I look at the church as a spiritual hospital. I come here Uh, to get what I need from the Lord because I realize that I'm spiritually sick and I need sustenance uh, from His Word. I get strength from you guys, believe it or not, when a word of testimony is given, pat on the back, whatever the case may be. Uh, I, I hope and pray that when you come here there are things that are said that encourages you from time to time. Uh, But not everything I say is going to be encouraging. There's going to be times when your toes get stepped on, and it's like this. If I don't step on your toes, then I'm not doing my job. (laughs) understand what I'm saying. So just understand that the church is not perfect. Yes, there are some people uh, that need to do better, but don't we all need to do better? Like I said, I, I look at the church as being a spiritual hospital. And if you're well, you don't need to be here but ain't none of us will. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all, even though we're saved and filled with his spirit, uh, we're still uh, falling short of the glory of God. Romans 2 verse 25, Paul said, circumcision profits if you keep the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision is made uncircumcision. He's telling them that the physical act of circumcision within itself can't save you. You've got to keep the rest of the law. Um, He goes on and gives them an example in verse 26. He said, if the uncircumcision, speaking of Gentiles, Keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? In other words, now because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross, we've got Gentiles getting saved. It's obvious that their lives have been changed. They want to do right, they want to live right, Uh, they have a desire to keep the law, and that within itself shows that there has been a circumcision of the heart. And in their spirit, something has happened to them. And in the eyes of God, that's really all that matters. And he qualifies that, if you'll look down in verse 28 of Romans chapter 2. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision uh, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit. Now in chapter 3... Of the book of Romans. Paul continues to deal with the Jews, but he's going to move into the subject of grace. Let's pick it up Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. And he asks this question What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Now, like I said, circumcision uh, was the outward sign. Of the covenant that God made with Abraham. It came to symbolize the entirety of the law and the Jews held firmly to that. You could not become Jewish unless you were circumcised. And he goes on to answer that question in verse 2. He said, "...much every way, uh, whether it were many or few." What Jews that even halfway attempted to follow the Lord, God blessed them. During the time of Solomon, Israel became the the head nation of all the world. They became rich beyond compare. And why was that? It was because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. That's the latter part of verse 2 of Romans chapter 3. They had the utterances of God. They had the Word of God, which is what we call today the Old Testament. Out of all the riches in the world that Israel had at one time, their greatest possession of all was the Word of God. Now you think of that. They were the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, during the time of Solomon, the richest nation in the world. And of all the riches they had, the Word of God was their greatest possession of all. I want you to think about this. Today, the church, not only do we have the Old Testament, but we've got the New Testament. What advantage do we have? think of that. What profit do we have today? I'm going to say something now that's a little bit rough, but it's true. Our nation is going to hell in a handbasket. When you look at the news and see all the stuff that's going on, it's obvious. We were talking just yesterday. Someone made the statement that It wasn't just for the sin of homosexuality uh, homosexuality that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're exactly right. What you've got to understand is sin drags down. It increases. It gets worse and worse and worse. And the, the point that it came to, the cup of iniquity ran over. When Sodom and uh, Gomorrah moved into that area of homosexuality, that's when God drawed the line and he judged those two cities for the sin of homosexuality. But you got to understand, it built up to that point. The cup of iniquity in America today is sloshing over already. I mean, when we're giving uh, homosexuals the right to marry and now... Uh, People are being forced to conduct those marriages or else be fined or go to jail. That just shows you where we're at today. But despite all of that that's going on, we are still blessed here in America. Now you think of that. We are still the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. And why is that? I believe it is because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is still the greatest export of this nation. The Word of God is still the greatest export in this nation. And as long as that continues, I know that things are getting bad, but God will continue to bless this nation now. The Word of God, understand that it is the Word of God. It doesn't merely contain the Word of God, it is the Word of God. Someone made the statement when they were referring to Paul's writings and said, well, that was just Paul's idea on the subject. No, it wasn't Paul's idea. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit moved upon him and searched through his vocabulary. The Holy Spirit chose the exact word for how he wanted things phrased and said, Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And you need to be careful today when it comes to uh, selecting a Bible to read from. You need to make sure that it is a word-for-word translation out of the original Greek and Hebrew language because there's a lot of so-called translations out here today that are thought-for-thought translations. It's just what other men have, have looked at. They've turned it around and twisted it and give their own thoughts about it and whatever the case. And, and some of those uh, people say, well, they helped me understand it. Well, that's good, but my, I always come back and tell them this, make sure you've got a King James and compare it with the King James because that is a word-for-word uh, translation. Another translation that can be used is the New American Standard uh, Bible, but by far the most popular is the King James, so uh, that's the version that I go by, but at any rate, Um, The Word of God should be the criteria for all things. It should be the standard for all that we do. Uh, It should be the course for all doctrine. Whatever is preached and taught, if it doesn't come from the Word of God, it's best that we leave it alone. Uh, The Word of God is the final authority for all disputes. And we need to follow the Word of God minutely so. If we don't, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. And our denomination right now is in trouble because we're leaving the Word of God. As I stated a few weeks ago, we went to the preacher's conference. And when the man stands there for four hours and he talks about the brain, and he never opens the Word of God, he never mentions God, he never mentions Jesus, he never mentions sin, he never mentions the cross, he never mentions the blood. Uh, and you sit there for four hours listening to this, and the man never opens the Bible, that tells you pretty much which way they're going. The man was coming from, from Floyd, Maslow, and Rogers, the leading uh, proponents of psychology. It won't come in from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But that just shows you where we're going. And it's not only just, uh, this denomination, it's many others that are running aground on this thing as well. Uh, someone told me just last week that in Johnston County alone, there are 16 Free Will Baptist churches that are looking for preachers right now. And they're getting hard to find. Now You can get one to talk about all kind of things, but to actually get down and preach the Word of God, uh, they're, getting, they're getting rather hard to find. But uh, at any rate, the Word of God is our standard. And everything I preach, I try to come from the Word of God. And uh, if that's what you want to learn, then you've come to the right place. Now, if you want to learn about psychology, you need to go somewhere else because I'm not going to. I'm not going there. At any rate, let's go to verse 3. Romans 3, verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. God is true to his word. Just because there were some in Israel who didn't believe, that didn't stop God's salvation plan. When the fullness of time was come, the Lord Jesus Christ was born into this world. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even today, if only one person out of a billion accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, God will save them, bless them. And even those around them uh, who don't believe will be blessed. Um, Go to Genesis 22, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Genesis 22, move down to verse 17. This is when Abraham offered up Isaac upon the altar. He did what God asked of him to do. Every bit of that that Abraham went through with Isaac was a foreshadow of what Jesus would do for us at the cross. And when Abraham did what God asked him to do, Genesis 22, verse 17, God said, In blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Look at that. Notice that. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Go to Galatians chapter 3. Today, you and I, spiritually speaking, we are of the seed of Abraham. Paul said that, Galatians 3, move down if you will to verse 26, we'll pick it up there. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, notice this now. And if you be Christ... Then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Brother James, what are you saying? I'm saying this. Anywhere in this world, there is a born-again, Spirit-filled child of God. Whatever area that is that he's in, that area is blessed. Follow what I'm saying? And that's the reason why God has withheld judgment on this nation. It is because of the remnant of born-again, spirit-filled Christians that are left here in this nation. There's not many. The Bible talks about a falling away in the last days, and we, we've seen that. He said, in the last days, there'll be some that depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we're seeing that take place. Uh, This day in which we're living in uh, was prophesied to be a day of lukewarmness, a day in the church where it'll be hard to find the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's standing outside the door of the church knocking, trying to get in. But at any rate, go back to Romans 3 verse 4 again, if you will. Paul said, yea, let God be true, and every man a liar. God has always been true to his word. If there's failure, it's always on man's part and never on God's part. Now, Paul is going to bring forth David now as an example. Look there, latter part of verse 4. As it is written, see that? That thou mightest be justified in thy sayings. And mightest overcome when thou art judged. Now, this is taken from Psalm 51, and it's verse 4. If you were a Jew and you heard this, you knew immediately what this was and what this was concerning. Uh, This was David's prayer of repentance concerning the sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. And you all know the story as it's recorded in 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, how David went out on his rooftop, looked over the edge and saw Bathsheba washing herself. And he sent servants over and they took her back to David's quarters and she became pregnant, sent word back to David, said, I'm pregnant. And he called for her husband, Uriah. He was out on the battlefield, called him in from the battle. How's the battle going? He said, well, it's going. He said, well, go on home to your wife tonight and come back tomorrow and tell me how things is going. And Uriah wouldn't do it. He said, how can I go home and rest when, when my buddies are out there on the battlefield? I'm not going to do that. David was trying to cover up his sin. He knew that if Uriah had gone home to Bathsheba, people would think that, you know, when it comes time for this child to be born, it would be Uriah's child. But Uriah wouldn't cooperate in this. Um, Actually, he was an honest man. And David even went a little further, tried to get him drunk the next night, and tried to send him home, and still he wouldn't do it. And uh, so when David found out this wasn't going to work, he had Uriah sent back out to the battlefield with a note that said, put him out on the front lines and in the heat of the battle, make sure it's the heat of the battle, um, make sure that, that he gets killed. And that's exactly what happened. So David was responsible for the murder of Uriah. And then immediately after that, he took Bathsheba to wife. Nathan the prophet comes in to David and says there was a rich man, there was a poor man. The rich man had a bunch of little sheep, poor man had one little ewe lamb, raised him up from a little bitty thing, it was almost like one of the family. The rich man had a traveler to come in and Visit with him, and instead of the rich man taking one of his sheep and killing it, he took the poor man's sheep, killed it, and gave it to the traveler. And David grew angry and said, Whoever has done this thing, let him die to death. And Nathan looked at David and said, Thou art the man. And he confronted David as it pertains to his sin. And David knew that God had his number. He didn't deny what he had done. He repented of the sin. And we have that recorded in Psalm 51, if you can pull it up, Psalm 51. I'm not going to read all of that. All of it's real good if you get a chance to read it all. But Psalm 51, verse 1, David said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to the loving kindness, according to thy multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And here's the part where Paul quoted in Romans 3 and verse 4. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Now David knew he had failed the Lord. He understood that his sins were against Bathsheba, Uriah. He knew that his sin was against all of Israel. But ultimately, the direction of his sin was against God. And understand this tonight. All sin, makes no difference what it is, is always against God. And David is saying there that God is always justified in whatever it is that he does, and his judgment is always perfect. There's always a price tag to sin. Sin has a price to it. David paid dearly for his sin. The son that he had with Bathsheba died. His greatest enemy became that of his own household. But God was gracious and merciful to David. Spared his life. Forgave him of his sin. And that's grace. That's grace. That's the way that God has always dealt with man is by the means of grace. He can't deal with man in any other way other than by grace. Now grace under the old covenant was very limited because the sin debt had not yet been paid. But now... Due to what Jesus did for us at the cross, the fullness of God's grace can now be experienced. And the meaning of the new covenant and the fullness of God's grace was given to the Apostle Paul. And Paul is giving us this in the book of Romans. Now, His teaching on grace is simply this, and I know all of you know it. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. I'll let you pull it up on the screen because you need a little (laughs) experience in that. (laughs) You're doing good. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's all by faith in Christ. Faith in his perfect life. His perfect life satisfied the demands of the law. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. His death satisfied the demands of the broken law for the wages of sin is death. And his resurrection is proof that the demands of the law Were met. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. There's absolutely nothing. That you can do. To save yourself. It has to be received by faith. Why? Because it is a gift. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, this teaching of grace through faith, as taught by Paul, that angered some of the Jews. Their understanding of salvation was... Well, if you were born Jewish, then you were automatically saved. If someone wanted to become Jewish and they were circumcised, then they were saved. And if you kept the law, then you were saved. That was their idea of salvation. But Paul comes along and says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And he was referring about faith in Christ. And we know how... Uh, The Jews had rejected Christ in whatever the case. Uh, So that angered some of the Jews. And they were so angry that many of them accused Paul of giving a license to sin. They were saying this, if all we have to do is believe in Christ and it's not of works, then we can just do whatever we want to do. Matter of fact, it's all right to sin. Sin is no big deal because grace will just cover it. The more we sin, then the more we glorify God. This is the slander that Paul's referring to in verse 8 of Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to deal with that a little bit more next week. We're just going to stop right there for tonight.